Revelation 11. Lord willing, we'll look at verses 3 through 14. We're going to look at the two witnesses. Last week, we just looked at the first two verses there in Revelation 11. And we saw that John was given a reed like a measuring rod. And he was instructed to go measure the temple, the altar, and the worshipers in the temple there. And remember, we established that the Lord always measures. The Lord's ultimate measuring tool is the word of God. It's his word. And these things were measured by the word of God. And we saw last week, and we'll see even more this week, that all those things were found wanting. We saw how this temple that will be erected either right before or during the tribulation is going to be a temple that is erected for the Antichrist and for worship that will be null and void before the living God. Because listen, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. It's only the shed blood of Jesus Christ that can do that. And through the great tribulation, we know that all Israel on earth, natural Israel, will come to a place of salvation through faith in jesus christ so we saw that this temple is going to fall short the worshipers there will fall short and the altar fall short that's even more clear in this chapter because we're going to see absolutely the lord calling jerusalem spiritual sodom and spiritual egypt and let me tell you sodom and egypt in this context completely fall short of god's standards so if anyone's here last week and go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not sure. I don't think these do fall short. When God says you're like spiritual Sodom or Egypt, listen, you're falling short. So we'll make that clear even all the more. We also saw uh, John being told not to measure outside of the temple because it'd be given to the Gentiles to tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And we saw how this is an event happening in the middle of the tribulation that in the second half, again, we know Antichrist goes after the Jews. We'll touch on that more tonight. And it's where Jerusalem really is underfoot by the Gentiles. Um, and and that, you know, they're told not to measure, be measured because at that point, anyone that's trampling, you know, at Israel and going after tribulation saints, at this point, they're in the middle of the tribulation on, onward. That's when the mark of the beast is clearly instituted in Scripture and if you don't have that mark, you're not treading anything. You're getting treaded yourself. And so a lot there that we looked at in those first few verses. And again, tonight, we'll now look at these two witnesses that it, it, it's, it's pretty, you know what, uh, pretty much uh, agreed on that these guys are in Jerusalem during the first half of the tribulation. Maybe it spills over. They, they come in, you know, what, a little into the into the tribulation to go through but it seems that it's in the first half and we're going to see that absolutely that they powerfully bring witness of god almighty thus their name the two witnesses i think it's clear that any witness of god is going to be again a witness of the gospel of jesus christ they're also witnesses to the judgment of god you know the bad news but then a witness to the good news of christ's death and resurrection and salvation that comes through him we're going to see that they move in the prophetic that they prophesy and i'm going to talk about prophecy tonight and i'm going to show you tonight without a doubt that these gifts have not ceased and the reason why we know that 
Because if the gift of prophecy has ceased, guess what? These two guys can't prophesy during the tribulation. And there's a lot of learned guys and scholarly folks that stand up and say, well, all these sign gifts have ceased. And I'll tell you, if they cease, then these two witnesses can't prophesy. On top of that, they're calling down fire. They're shutting up the sky from raining. I think those are called signs and wonders and miracles, which, again, a lot of people say, well, those things cease. Those aren't here anymore. Well, how then are they in the great tribulation with these two witnesses? Listen, for our own self, we'll talk about gifts as well. The gift of prophecy that God absolutely has instructed us to ask for. And again, we'll put the emphasis more on the proclamation of God's word and power, which is the broader use of that gift. And even talk about how the foretelling of future events, you better be 100% spot on or you're a false prophet. So a lot to look at here, a lot of application. Again, we'll talk about who these two witnesses are. I'm I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm going to say it might be this, might be that. You can draw your own conclusions. I got my own thoughts, but we're going to kind of go down. Ultimately, the Lord knows, and I think it's more healthy just to step back and go, who could this be, and the reasons why. And there's, there's, there's you know, different ideas and so forth. So let's read down verse 3 through 14. Let's just take it all in, and then we'll dive into this. It says, and I was given power, oh, excuse, excuse me, and I will give power to my two witnesses And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. And remember, this is the lunar calendar. This is three and a half years. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands standing before God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and sing gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming." So verse 3, I'll give power to my two witnesses. They'll prophesy 260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now remember, this is a point where John has been told to prophesy again. And we talked about this, how we've seen a sequence of order through these seals that have been broken and the, the, the judgment coming out of those being, you know what, 
dictated by Christ in heaven. And we've seen, again, just great disaster and judgment upon earth as those seals are being broken. And then it moved into the trumpet judgments. And now here we are with that sixth trumpet, these woes coming out of them. And then God telling John to prophesy again, which really is viewed as John going back now and I'm prophesying again of things that are going to happen during these seven seals and these trumpets. And then it begins to move deeper into the tribulation. And it seems that in this, we're somewhere around as this, this chapter, you know what, winds out or or the the text we looked at tonight winds down it's moving to the middle of the tribulation um again there's a lot of clues here that tell us this is the first half of that tribulation and these guys will be here during that time these are going to be two witnesses that are a real barrier to the antichrist agenda they're going to be a real thorn in his side and it seems that it will be you know what impossible for the Antichrist to fully institute the mark of the beast until these guys re- are removed. And it almost seems that there, there is a coinciding of events with these witnesses' death, with the Antichrist going in and performing the abomination of desolation, where he declares himself to be God. Again, Israel recognizes that at that point. He goes and begins to destroy them. We see at this point this happens, and it says part of the city rejoices and gives glory to God. People with the mark of the beast are not going to do that. This also seems to coincide with we saw last week, and we'll get more into it in the weeks to come, Lord willing, where Satan is finally kicked out of heaven, and he comes to the earth, and he knows that his time is short. So again, they're going to be a barrier, and then when they're fully removed, These other things will unfold. Abomination of desolation, the mark of the beast, and again, that effort to try to destroy the Jews. We read in Zechariah, two-thirds of the Jews will be killed. A third will escape, most likely to that rock city of Petra. And notice here, I'll give power to my two witnesses. And we should ask the question, why two? Why not one witness? Well, God does things by His Word. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And listen, you need three witnesses if number two or number one shady. In this case, number one and number two are both solid. So the Lord says, I only need two witnesses. And they're going to bring testimony against, again, that Antichrist, this beast system, and all these during this tribulation that are rejecting the Lord and choosing this Babylonian system and this rebellion against God Almighty. They're going to be here again to witness against that. And any witness of God, as we've already touched on, they're going to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, if someone is out saying they're a witness of God, but they don't point anyone to the cross, listen, that's a false witness is what that is. We're here to represent the gospel. We've even seen that God delays his coming. He's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. In this dispensation right now, we should be about witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that that's good news. Again, that Christ died for our sins. He rose from the grave. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But as we talked about oftentimes, listen, the good news is only good news because there's bad news. 
And a solid witness is going to bring witness through the scripture to the bad news that we are all sinners. We transgress the law of God. We're under the judgment of God. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but it, it is part of the truth of scripture and so forth. We're really seeing this brought out in Romans. And as it's being laid out in Romans, that bad news is to bring people to the good news. So no doubt they're going to be a witness of the sin of man, of the wrath of God, of the judgment of the Lord. But then they will more so be a witness of the resurrected Lord calling people to repent. And they're going to do this in great power. We need to know that God again has called us to share the gospel with the world around us today. As a fellowship, we want to be a church that's about the business of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and beyond that. Absolutely, we do that in many ways. We do that through outreaches like we had here on Friday night. You know, I hope you guys all recognize and realize that Friday night, this past Friday night, wasn't just about having a good time and blessing the kids in the church. It was that. It wasn't just about, you know what, inviting the community in as well to, you know what, be hospitable to them. It was partly that, but more so, we had so many opportunities that night in many ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in the, in the, in the little skit thing back there, the gospel was presented. We had various booths where the gospel was being presented. All those kids went away with several gospel tracks where the gospel was presented. There was all kinds of conversation. I've talked to a lot of people who talked to other people that night and they talked to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be a church that's doing that. And that's why when we have those outreaches coming up and I say, hey, we need to be praying for this. Absolutely, we want to respond because we want to be praying for the folks that we're going to come in contact with that their hearts would be open to the gospel. And so we're a church about that business trying to use media and those different avenues to get the gospel out. And then beyond that, listen, more so, we come together here that you can get equipped through the scriptures to take the gospel out to the folks that you come in contact. You know, the people close to you, the people that are acquaintances, the people that you just run into in life. I'm trying to, because I got a call from the Lord to equip you for the work of the ministry. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a little insight here. One of the reasons why I always reiterate the gospel, I already did it tonight, shared the bad news, the good news. Does, has anyone noticed I do that a lot? Listen, it's, it's, it's really threefold. Number one, it's because God's glorified when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. Secondly, it's being put out there that if there's anyone here tonight, I want them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, we, there, there's a lot of people that, that, that come in for various reasons. We've seen over the years, the Lord just draw people. We've had people where they were driving down the road and they said, I just heard a voice, I was supposed to come in here. And people that didn't know the Lord, who heard the gospel, who responded. So we want to be preaching the gospel to anyone that comes here. But then number three, listen, I share that over and over and over to get you equipped to go out to be able to share the gospel with others. And I've been so blessed over the years where people have told me, man, I just talked talking about a, uh, to me and a guy we were talking and, and things of God came up and just the gospel just started pouring out of me. And I'm like, where did that come from? It's because it's been grilled into you. And that's what we want. I mean, listen, souls are hanging in the balance. 
the lord jesus christ is coming soon and even if you're a rapture doubter or you think well that's way off listen the bible says our life is as a vapor and it is as a shadow so that in itself should be enough to stir us to be about his business we're here to again to be a witness of the gospel of jesus christ and beautifully and we'll get into these guys power here in a second it's power via the holy spirit god has not only given us the gospel message of salvation he wants to empower us in going out and sharing it he wants to empower us through the holy spirit and putting a love in our heart and hopefully sharing the gospel it's be driven by a love for others that we're concerned for their soul we're concerned for their eternity driven as well by an unction from the lord to have a boldness that's balanced with love a confidence in the lord that's balanced in humility and absolutely just an unction from the lord with a prophetic element that pierces people's hearts in acts 1 8 the lord said to his disciples but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and notice you shall be do you see the word there witnesses <laughs> witnesses to me in jerusalem in judea samaria and then notice here they're like is america in the bible to the ends of the earth that would be including this and he's called us to be witnesses like these two witnesses in our jerusalem and our jerusalem's not jerusalem in israel our jerusalem you know is north county it's where we reside that's our jerusalem and we want to be a witness in this jerusalem we we want to get the gospel out to everybody and and i know over the years we've gotten it out to everybody one way or another and now we're like well let's do that again we want to be a witness to our jerusalem to our judea which is little out you know outside of here jerusalem and then judea again was the nation and then samaria maybe that's like hey let's try to let's get it out to 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 our country and then to the ends of the earth and praise god even you know what this these last few months you know we've had the privilege to 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 help support the church in afghanistan and that isn't just about oh let's let's get them out of there we've talked about and heard the reports many of those afghani believers look at we're helping them to stay there to preach the gospel of jesus christ and you know that's just one of many ways that we get the gospel out that they're witnesses of the lord and so i encourage you tonight to even step back and say you know what what, what am i doing to be a witness and maybe it's something you look you're like I, I i'm not doing much start in prayer then and start praying and start saying god give me those opportunities give me those bold, give me give me that boldness give me that filling of your holy spirit because the lord said if we're evil or sinners and we know how to give good gifts to our kids how much more will our father in heaven give what the holy spirit to those who ask so again i'd encourage you as you get up in the morning throughout the day lord fill me with your spirit you know give me a an overwhelming love the fruits of the holy spirit give me a overwhelming love and concern for those that don't know you when a non-believer comes along even if they're shooting nonsense let let me not turn to anger towards them let me grieve for them so i would at the minimum pray for them and look for opportunity to be able to share with them this is where i really encourage you as well we have a, an area in between the patio and the foyer a, a, basically a wall of gospel tracks there that share the gospel of jesus christ we have that track uh the bridge of life i think it was called or the bridge to god i should know that it's a it's a beige track and it's just it takes you through the gospel Man, that's a powerful witnessing tool that sometimes you might not be able to have a conversation 
But listen, there's opportunity always to give those away. I was in a gas station the other day, and I, I go in there, and there's a dude in there dressed like a woman. And I'm like, I'm going to give this guy a gospel trap. And I went up, and I, hey, I go, hey, you know what? Can you turn the air on for me? My, my tire's low. I just bought gas. And, and I go, and, and this is for you. And he kind of like, and he, th- he, he says, thank you. And I went, I prayed for this guy, and I'm hoping to have a follow-up conversation. This is a guy that needs Jesus. This guy that needs that. I know at the minimum it's been put there because, again, it's the gospel that's the power of God and the salvation. And I saw him looking at it. He said, Lord, let this guy open up and read it. That's a real simple way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's real simple when you're going through that drive through and that kid's there, you know, giving you the meal to say, hey, I got something for you. Let me tell you, you're rarely going to get turned down. And I'll tell you, a lot of people are going to be excited that you gave them that, especially in the day we're living in right now, where a lot of people are asking questions. God, help us to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that tonight? So it says, we're we're a few verses in here. (laughs) I will give power to my witnesses, my two witnesses. And notice, they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Um, Again, we know the tribulation is, it's seven years. It's based on the lunar calendar. The scripture is based on the lunar calendar. It's a 360 year calendar. This is three and a half years of those seven years. And they're going to prophesy. And we talk about prophecy a lot. It is, you know, arguably the most important gift of all the spiritual gifts. Newsflash, hate to break it to you. It's not speaking in tongues. A lot of people put all the emphasis on that. That's a valuable gift, but that's a gift that's more of a personal gift. Where unless there's an interpretation, that individual is the only one edified. No one else knows what you're saying unless there's an interpretation. And yet so often all the emphasis is on the gift of tongues when, I don't want to get ahead of my notes here, we've been told to put the emphasis on prophecy. Now when prophecy comes up, a lot of people immediately go to the foretelling of future events. Listen, that's the smaller usage of that gift. That's definitely a gift found in Scripture. Acts 11, Acts 21, we read about a prophet named Agabus, who was a foreteller of future events. He had prophesied of a famine that came about. He also prophesied, you know what, as the Lord led him to pick up a belt, and he said, whoever owns this belt, they are going to be facing, you know what, persecution And it was a prophetic word about the Apostle Paul. And absolutely it came about as was prophesied. And here's the thing. If someone rises up and they say they're a prophet. And they're a foreteller of future events. If they're saying thus saith the Lord. Let me tell you something. The Lord is never wrong. (laughs) The Lord knows the end from the beginning. The Lord doesn't step back and do guesswork. Well let's see kind of what happens The Lord knows everything, and if he selects somebody to give them a prophecy of an event that's going to unfold, it's going to be 100% spot on, and if it's not 100% spot on, you're dealing with a false prophet. Let me tell you, the world is teeming with false prophets. Many a church is teeming with false prophets. Sadly, very rarely are they held accountable by denominations and churches and leaders and so forth, they're allowed to run amok because there's so many people. You know what? God's general word's not enough for them. They want that special word, you know? And listen, 
If God wants to give you a special word, he's going to give you that. I've gotten some of those over the years. A lot of them were by false prophets and didn't come about. I've had a few that have been accurate. I've had some that God has personally given to me that have unfolded. But you better have a hunger first and foremost for God's general word. Sadly, in the church today, there's not a lot of people with a hunger for God's general word. A lot of churches where God's words not even open up. It's never exposited. It's never taught in context. But everyone shows up because they want to hear from, you know, what the 10 false prophets or 20 or 30 or 40 that run around the church that even say, I'm a prophet of God. And yet they're always off. Like, well, I got a 60%, you know, right rate. You're a false prophet. And all these groups even say that. Hey, well, they're 60% right. They're on. Listen to Ezekiel 13, 1 through 8. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those prophets who prophesy, notice, out of their own heart. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And tonight, if you call yourself a prophet, and you are not accurate, you don't see anything. This is a declaration upon those that say they got a word and that word doesn't come about. And again, they're all over the place. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle in the day of the Lord. And then notice, they have envisioned futility and false divination he's saying these that move that call themselves a prophet of god say thus saith the lord that their prophecies don't come about they move in futility which is another word for wickedness and false divination they're moving in the demonic and i'll tell you a lot of these characters run around and they actually hear voices that they think's god and they're listening to demonic spirits i've dealt with it for years little rebellion you know it always given words that don't align with the scripture Stuff that doesn't come about. And yet they carry themselves around with a cockiness like they're a prophet because they're listening to a deceiving spirit. So again, futility, false divination saying, thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that the word might be confirmed or may be confirmed. So they're throwing out the word and they're like, oh boy, you know, I hope it comes about. Listen, God knows the end from the beginning. It's not hard for the Lord to give a real prophetic word concerning a future event. God's spot on. He says, have you not seen the futile vision? And have you not spoken false divination? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense. And there's some of these guys speaking nonsense, and yet they're revered by individuals that don't just open up God's word and recognize if someone's going to say that, even all the more they need to be held accountable. They've spoken nonsense and envisioned lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord your God. And I'll tell you, if you're given words that don't come about, you know some of these rank heretics, these televangelists and certain individuals, they got a word and it doesn't come about. And I'm telling you, they're all documented. The bulk of them are documented false prophets and you're like, oh, but I got like some of the stuff they're saying. The scripture declares God's against them. You want to follow someone that God's against? Someone moving in divination? And I'll tell you, a lot of these characters, their service and stuff, 
They're very resemblant of occult practices, the kundalini spirit, the activities and so forth. Out of order, it's not scriptural and so forth. Listen, absolutely God can give a word and at times he gives words of foretelling of events and when God gives it, it's 100% accurate. More so with the gift of prophecy, it is the proclamation of God's written word in power. And just so you know, God's word is a prophetic book. It's a prophetic book. We are told to ask for this gift. We're told to seek after that gift. We see it in places like this with Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.19. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel was a judge. Samuel was also a prophet. And he was a prophet in the sense of when he spoke God's word, it penetrated people's hearts. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in power more than my false divination trying to drum up a word to get a little following of people. And I'm telling you, that's what the bulk of these people are. And, and, and let me tell you, I grew up in this stuff. I know it firsthand. And I've seen firsthand the rank damage that these liars do. They destroy people's faith. Even the ones with good intentions, they leave carnage everywhere they go because it's not driven by the Holy Spirit, by another spirit it's driven by. Test yourself. If you're like, well, I'm a prophet of God. You know what? Oh, you're pregnant. You're going to have a boy. A girl comes out, shut your mouth and repent. That's the kind of stuff these guys do. And they very rarely repent. And I'm going to tell you, they're running amok they're all over the place, and many of them have these huge platforms, and they just keep getting a pass. Guess what? You don't get a pass with God. And that should make some knees knock, because God's prophetic word here, it triumphs and trumps over any of your nonsense and this, the, these false doctrines that have been drummed up through this, not charismatics, but through charismania. And again, it's all over the place. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, notice here, but especially that you may prophesy. And notice the fruit of biblical prophecy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. It's God's word spoken in power. And listen, I make no bones about it. I pray that every time I come into this pulpit that I will teach, I will preach, and I will bring prophetic utterance that will make an impact. Because if I don't got any power of the Holy Spirit up here, it's time for me to go sit down and God to raise someone else up. Now listen, there's a lot of people, this is kind of the other spectrum, They'll say, well, you know, those sign gifts were for back then, but they're not for today. You know, I'm talking about these types, right? All that stuff ceased. None is it for today. And they take scripture out of context to say, well, when the Bible was finished being written, all those gifts ceased. And they take 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, you know, it's something in the lines of when, when that which is perfect comes along the imperfect will be done away with it's something along those lines i should have had that verse don't got it in my notes but it's this idea when the canon was completed all those sign gifts were seized because they were just given to witness the gospel before 
canon or the New Testament was written. And my question for every one of them is, if these gifts have ceased, how are there two witnesses moving in prophetic utterance then? How are there two witnesses calling down fire from heaven and closing the clouds, moving in miracles, signs and wonders, and prophetic utterances if those gifts have ceased? Tell me, John MacArthur, how have those ceased? And John MacArthur says a lot of good things, but dude is way off in this. I'm telling you, you know, way off. You can't argue that. If those gifts cease, these guys can't have these gifts. This hasn't come about yet. They're clothed in sackcloth. This is depicting a state of mourning. And no doubt it's a mourning over the sins of the world. We're told in James 4, 9, lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself on the side of the Lord. He will lift you up. There's a mourning over the sin. But it also shows that these are going to be two individuals. And this is huge. They don't have worldly attachments. They're coming here to represent the Lord. They're not coming to build fanfare and a big following and they want everyone to be talking about the two witnesses. They're, they're not looking for their own, you know, their, their, their own, you know, uh, 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 place in Christian celebrity. They're coming with no worldly attachments. They're very much like John the Baptist. Jesus said about him in Luke 7.25, What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled live in luxury and are in king's courts. John did not move in, you know, at the, 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 the luxuries of the world. It's not to say that it's a sin to have things we enjoy and so forth. But listen, in the heart of the matter, God wants us to be a people that are thankful for what we have, but we're not living for all this stuff. And these guys are going to display that in their garb. Notice 1 Corinthians 7, 29, it says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. And that was written 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you, the time's a lot shorter now than when Paul wrote that. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as they have none. And listen, that's not a loophole to get out of your marriage. That's not what that's saying. That's what's saying you and your wife, your wife and your husband, you need to be putting the Lord Jesus Christ first. And I'll tell you, if you do that, it's the key to having a good marriage. And then he says, uh, where am I here? Um, those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as they did not rejoice. So in other words, don't, don't just be driven by your emotions and how everything's affecting you. He says, those who buy as if they do not possess and those who use this world not mis- misusing it. Why? For the form of this world is passing away. We want to be thankful for what we have. We want to be good stewards of what we have. But I'm telling you, whatever you have, though you bought it, don't live as if you possess it. Because if you live as if you possess it, guess what? It will possess you. And it's very freeing when you step back and recognize I'm a sojourner. I'm an alien according to Scripture. I'm passing through. Everything I have is really a tent. It can be taken at any time. It's not my security. It's not my refuge. My refuge is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you start putting things above that, when you start saying, this is our refuge, this is our hope, whatever it is, you are dabbling in idolatry then. I don't care how good intention you are. I don't care if you're like, you know, well, we're, we're like these, you know, there's a lot of, lot of areas today where it's very tempting for things to become idols. 
Listen, if your prepping takes precedence over ministry and serving the Lord and walking with God, you got an idol on your hand. Because let me tell you, that stuff can be taken like that. Is it to say there's not a good place, a place for good stewardship? Moving the Proverbs, you know, the ant stores up for the summer. Yes, but don't live as if you possess that because that could be gone tomorrow. But let me tell you, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll give you the best preparation. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because Jesus, who is the authority of all authority, says, and all these things will be added unto you. God's got your back. Amen. Verse four. He says, uh, these are the two olive trees, the two lampstands standing before God on the earth. This is not the first mention of these two witnesses in the scriptures. Zechariah 4.11. And Zechariah is a very, very prophetic book. I'm, I'm praying about maybe us going through that after Revelation. It is very, uh, I mean, some of the insights are just, just phenomenal. Some of the, the pictures and things in there, they're, they're very thought-provoking and so forth. But in Zechariah 4.11, it says, Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and its left? And again, these two witnesses are these two olive trees. And notice in Revelation, it talks about these two lampstands in Zechariah. It talks about those. He says, And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes, which are the golden oil drains then he answered and answered me and said do you not know what these are and i said no my lord and notice verse 15 so he said these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the lord of the whole earth so these two witnesses that will come to earth during the tribulation we read here in zechariah that they stand by the lord of the whole earth they're anointed they have a special ministry and they're by the Lord right now. Now listen, there's a lot of thoughts of who these guys may be. And it may be two of these guys. We're not told for sure who they are. There's a lot of clues of who they may be. There's some people, they're very, they feel very strong. It's this guy and it's that guy. And there's no even discussion of anyone else. There's other folks, well, it might be this guy, this guy, that guy. Not really sure. Ultimately, let me tell you, it's all going to work out whether we know exactly who it is or not, because God knows. <laughs> now, listen, the first candidate that comes up and there's almost a universal agreement on this guy is the prophet Elijah. In a minute here, we're going to read about them closing up the sky from rain, calling down fire. Well, guess what? Elijah was an expert in both of those while he was on earth. And then on top of that, we read in Second Kings 2, 9 through 11, that Elijah never had an earthly death but he was caught up in a rapture event back in second kings and remember elijah was the guy who was his apprentice and took you know what his ministry over and he got a double portion elijah said if you see me go up you get a double portion and so i'm not going to read that but it's there in your notes second kings 2 9 through 11 he got caught up in a chariot of fire, got caught up in a whirlwind. Also in Malachi 4, 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So it's a prophetic word about Elijah. Now, we know that John the Baptist came 
and was called the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist is not Elijah, but it says that he comes or he came in the spirit of Elijah. So some say, look, at that was already fulfilled in Elijah coming. But it does say he's going to come before the dreadful day of the Lord. I think Elijah of all the candidates is the most solid one. And then people point out as well, look, at he was raptured up. It's appointed for man to die once and after death, the judgment and being raptured, he never died. And so it has to be Elijah's one of them. The only thing I throw out there to them is that if if you're going to take that verse and apply it like that, if the Lord comes tonight, we're all going to get raptured. And then technically we don't die either. And listen, God's not a liar. So you could argue, well, yeah, he's not here, though. So it's a type of death. I'm just throwing it out there, just throwing it out to, to, to provoke some thinking here. Another guy that comes up, and this is where you probably get the most debate is Enoch and Moses. Now, with Moses, the argument that it's not Moses is because we know Moses physically passed. We read in Jude that the devil and the Michael Archangel, they argue over the body of Moses. And you're like, trip out on that. What's going on in the heavenlies around me? Most believe that that was about the devil wanting to show the Jews where the body of Moses was and hoping that they would worship him. But some have suggested that maybe that has to do with him being one of the witnesses because ultimately Elijah's flesh did not go into heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work if you're going to really look at all of Scripture. Now, the biggest, in my, in my, my mind, the, the biggest case to be put for Moses is the fact that they talk about uh, in, in, in these prophecies, they turn waters into blood. And that was one of the miracles that Moses performed against Pharaoh. But listen, the, the, the bigger presentation for Moses is in Matthew 17. It's when Jesus went up to what would be called the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus is up there with the three, the three disciples. And it says in verse 2 about Jesus, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And it says, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Technically, these guys should be in Abraham's bosom. That's where Old Testament saint went before Christ went to the cross and they were resurrected. Technically, they should both be there. Why are they not there? Why are they? Why is Peter able to recognize them? The argument is, is because they are the two, you know, what olive trees. They're the two anointed ones. And people say because Elijah represents the things of the spirit. Moses represents the word of God. And I'll tell you, you want to have an effective walk with the Lord and witness. You need to have a balance between the spirit of God, the word of God. And I'll tell you, that's a winning combination. Now, others say, look, at they think it's Elijah and Enoch. Because, again, like Elijah, Enoch as well was raptured up. We read in Genesis 5, 24, Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. And then in Jude 14, we read about Enoch. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied. Others suggest John the Baptist. Others suggest John himself because Jesus has said to Peter, if he remains till I come, what is that to you? But then John corrected that and said, you know what? He said, if that doesn't mean I'm going to. And I know there's been some Hollywood movies and they got the apostle John running around. There was like, what was that one? The Bruce Willis one, Armageddon. Or one of those. They got John. They're just taking it all out of context. Listen, 
the bottom line is God knows who these witnesses are and we know that they're going to come forth. And I think it's interesting to have conversation about it. And there's a lot that we can glean even from that. Now quickly, verse 5, it says, If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouths and devours their enemies. <laughs> and if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. No doubt there will be some that try to harm them. Look at in Elijah's ministry on earth ahab tried to destroy him and called him the troubler of israel even though ahab was the troubler in his idolatry no doubt there's going to be many that say these are the troublers of the world there'll probably be many saying all of these judgments coming on the earth are from these two witnesses not recognizing it's jesus christ bringing that judgment and wrath as he breaks those seals and allows those angels to blow those trumpets but listen there's a lot of people today that already want to harm followers of Christ and the world's getting, you know, the world's getting primed for this. Now, we also read these guys are going to be watched. They're going to be looked at. Who, you know what? They, they, who knows? Maybe they have their own cable channel right now. It's like the two witnesses watch, you know. Will they die today? We read fire proceeds from them. And it's interesting. Jesus in his first coming, he came to save. Remember, there were some, some Samaritans that rejected the Lord and john who god's using to write this book and his brother james are called the sons of thunder they come and they say in luke 9 54 lord do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like elijah did please lord let us do it and it's where the lord says i didn't come to destroy lives i came to save them but i'll tell you the second time he comes he ain't riding on a on a on a colt he's coming on a white horse and he's bringing fire and judgment and it's going to look, look very much like, and I've got time to read it, but 2 Kings 1, 6 down through 14, it's very interesting where Elijah does call that fire down. And the king sends out a couple guys. They're, they're very unreverent towards God. They show Elijah no, no respect, and they call him a prophet of God. And he says, hey, if I'm a prophet of God, let fire come down and consume you. 50 guys get consumed like that. The next guy comes out and says the same thing. If I'm a prophet, God, let fire come down and consume you. Boom, like that. The third, I believe it is, comes down and says, oh, we know you're a man of God. We, we know fear of God's put in them. And we'll see even if these men are resurrected, there's a fear of God that falls upon Jerusalem, maybe for the first time in the tribulation. One side note in this, I praise God for prophetic gifts and 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 the empowerment of the holy spirit but i thank god that we don't got the ability to call fire down on people thank you lord <laughs> you know today you know at, a, at the cross section someone had fire called down on them it turns out it was an angry christian you know thank you lord <laughs> but listen if someone does try to kill them it says they're going to be judged in that manner fire will come down on them for 1260 days this is going to happen that could be a big deal it's going to be hard for CNN not to report on this, let me tell you. It, it really is going to be hard to cover this up. And I think that's going to happen to show this is judgments from God. Verse 6, it says, These have power to shut heaven so no rain falls in the days of their prophecies. They have power over waters to turn them into blood, to strike the earth with all the plagues as they desire. Again, the days of Noah, no rain. In these days, no rain. We've talked about that in a time of famine. We also know Elijah and his ministry is talked about in James 5. You can read about it again back in Kings. 
he prayed there would be no rain in Israel and it didn't rain for three and a half years. It seems a foreshadow of perhaps the tribulation. And why? Because God had said, if you don't worship me, if you worship idols, I'll cause the sky to close up. Elijah read the word and he was prophesying according to the word of God. And so it didn't rain. And then when, again, that fire came down on that altar on Mount Carmel, there was the beginnings of revival. This is a beginnings of revival in the tribulation for the Jew. And when that revival started, then rain came down. Remember, he went and prayed. He prayed seven times. He saw a hand the size of a cloud or a a cloud the size of a hand. And he says, get ready. It's going to rain. Again, they call waters in the blood. Exodus 17. We read of Moses again, turning the waters there in Egypt into blood. And so these plagues, as often as they desire, why? It's because of sin. It's because the curse on man. But praise God, Jesus has redeemed us from our curse. And indeed in him, we have victory. Verse 7, it says, When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So their testimony is going to start, it's going to finish Listen, we're witnesses right now on earth and we should make it our aim to finish well. I love what Paul says there in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. We're told in Hebrews 12, 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We don't know where the finish line is, but as followers of the Lord, we're witnesses and we are called to finish our race are you about the business of the Lord? Have you gotten away from that? Do you find yourself more sitting on the sidelines than out in the race? God hasn't called you. Yes, there can be times and seasons of rest, but we want to finish our testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Lord, help us in that. Give us endurance. And then we read about this beast that again ascends from the bottomless pit. This is talking about the Antichrist. He's going to make war with them and finally it's going to appear he overcomes them and kills them. I don't want to get way ahead of us, but in Revelation 13, it talks more about this beast. And it says in verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. Notice as if. The Antichrist is going to move with false signs and false wonders. This seems to be a type of counterfeit resurrection with the physical being. But it seems no doubt that there is going to be an ascension out of the pit of possession of this man. And it seems that it's going to be Satan himself that possesses this man, just as through the seed of woman came Christ, through the seed of the serpent it's the one who opposes Christ. So we're getting here into some real, you know what, deep and interesting stuff. He's going to try to take, make war, overcome and kill, but it's a temporary victory. It's a minor, minor setback, again, in the scheme of things. Verse 8, it says, Their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And we'll read in a minute here, they're going to lie there because they're going to rejoice. It will be very resemblant of when the Philistines killed Saul, Saul you know, the king of Israel. But notice here, spiritually, Jerusalem is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. That's not what you want to be called. You don't want to be called Sodom 
and Egypt. And why are they called that? Because again, at this point, Israel is still in rebellion against God. It's another case for this being in the first half of the tribulation. It's when you move into the second half where Jews start repenting. They start acknowledging that Christ is God. It seems that this is an event that kicks that off. We'll get that to, to here in a second. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather, you, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, you got a will involved. <laughs> they weren't willing. Are you willing tonight to come under the shadow of God's wing when he invites? Isn't that the best place to be? They weren't willing, though. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I tell you, this tribulation is about bringing the totality of Israel on earth to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is Lord. But Sodom, again, spiritual Sodom, it's a, it's a picture of rebellion sexual immorality and, and israel is today it, it absolutely is don't don't be fooled by the you know what the the religious do there at the welling wall i told you when they're doing this it's a new age practice they think god's god's in a trance somewhere and they got to break him out of that through you know making divine sparks to wake up god god's not asleep he absolutely isn't and I'll tell you, Tel Aviv, it's a homosexual capital of, of, of the Middle East. You know, you think about Egypt, and Egypt's a picture of the world. And I think about Egypt, how they practice the killing of Jewish babies. When you join the Jewish army and, and, and all the young people got to join, they pay for the first three abortions any of those gals want to have, those Jewish babies. In fact, Israel has aborted more babies. I, well, I want to be careful with this. I believe that it, it 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 nears the total of of jews killed in the holocaust don't quote me on that but i i know it's it, it's it's uh, i, I want to be responsible in that it's a whole lot of babies we'll just put it like that it's spiritual sodom it's spiritual egypt we need to pray for the peace of jerusalem for their salvation they need to come from out under the law under grace the grace of god and again just in case last week if you thought, you know, the measuring of, of the, 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 the altar, the temple, and, and those worshiping wasn't a spiritual thing, God says you're spiritual Sodom and you're spiritual Egypt. You better believe it's a spiritual measurement. The context of the chapter tells us this. Again, where our Lord was crucified, and we know absolutely that was Jerusalem. Verse 9, we'll try to wrap this up. It says, then... Those from the people's tribes, tongues, nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. How are they all going to see their bodies all over the earth? Modern technology. And they're going to rejoice. The troublers of the world are finally dead instead of acknowledging their own sin. They're going to rejoice in the death of these believers. And again, the tone's being set for this today. I've been very grieved over the last year and a half or so of how many people I've seen rejoice over the death of another. Have you guys seen that at all? Jimmy, Jimmy DeYoung, a great man of God, he passed away a few months ago. And there was this celebration and rejoicing over his death because he was skeptical of the vaccine. He said, this looks like the foreshadow of the mark of the beast. Again, 
what you do with that you got to do your research be accountable before god but this man was pointing out something that's true in israel right now i heard today that you can't go in a grocery store and buy groceries without that vaccination pass you better believe that's a foreshadow of the mark of the beast Jimmy DeYoung, we used to have him on a radio station. We have some of his books in the bookstore. The guy was in his 80s and looked like he was about 80 to 100 pounds overweight. He had underlining conditions. He passed away and they put a swab up his nose during it. said, oh, you got COVID too. This guy outlived the average age of a male by about 10 years. And yet godless people celebrated his death. It was like they were sending gifts to one another through social media, through Facebook. But boy, they didn't shut that down. I'm going to tell you, this world is set up for this kind of sickness. You know what? God doesn't rejoice in the death of anybody. We read in Ezekiel, God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. He grieves over that. In verse 11, it says, Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Uh Uh-oh. And they stood on their feet, and notice great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them come up here and they ascended to heaven in a cloud when their enemies saw them guess what we have a god who can resurrect people from the dead many accounts in scripture including our lord and savior jesus christ all those who are dead in christ their spirits with the lord when the lord returns they will be resurrected from the dead and we who will remain on earth will hear the same phrase, come up here, and we will be raptured up. And hear this, that won't be the first rapture in the Bible. I don't see any rapture in the Bible. Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. Jesus Christ was raptured. We know the church will be raptured. The two witnesses will be raptured. The rapture is all over the Bible. You just got to open up and read it. So their enemies saw them. And I'll tell you again, the enemies of God will always eventually be forced to watch the victory of God. Just remember that when you're tempted, something's tempting to get your goat. You know what I'm saying? God's going to prevail. <laughs> Leave room for the vengeance of God. And then in verse 13, in the same hour there was a great earthquake. And there's going to be a lot of them in that tribulation. And a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. And notice, the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Men with three sixes on their head will never give glory to God. In fact, we read later in the tribulation, they shake their fists and they curse God. This is the beginning, in my opinion, of all of Israel getting saved in the tribulation. And this seems to coincide again with the mark of the beast, Satan getting kicked out of heaven, the abomination of desolation, and a whole series of events that unfold from that in the second part of the tribulation, including all of Israel, natural Israel on earth at that time that make through the tribulation, putting faith in Christ. Romans speaks of it. Lord willing, we'll get into it later on. All Israel will be saved. It says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly and so we read that first woe the the second woe started with a 200 million man army on 200 million of these horse creatures and it ends with this but again we know this overlaps because this seems to happen again start 1260 days later and this is how that ends and it's just where god's timeline he's outside of time and space and oftentimes 
you know, he see, we, we see things from a limited basis where God sees the totality of the picture. But listen, ultimately, those that come to God, it was out of the fear of God. They were afraid and they gave glory to God. Let me tell you, it's a healthy thing to have the fear of God. You want to grow in glorifying God? You want to grow in things of God? That we're to conduct our life here, even as Christians, we're told in Peter, with the fear of God. I'm going to give accountable for my life. I'm going to be accountable for my words. I'm going to be accountable for my actions. Again, praise God, I'm saved through the cross of Calvary, but we're going to give an account of our life. If you've gotten away from a healthy fear of God, repent and ask God to stir that up afresh. Because let me tell you, good things come out of a fear of and reverence and awe of God Almighty. And when that's lacking, let me tell you, nothing good happens. Nothing good comes out of that. Let's stand up. Or actually, you guys can sit there. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory. We thank you for this beautiful night. We thank you, God, for a beautiful meal, beautiful fellowship, beautiful worship. God, we thank you for your word, God, that's so rich and deep and true. And Lord, I hope, Lord, in looking at these things, God, we have received, Lord, a lot of personal instruction for us today. Lord, I know these these things aren't just written so we'll know what will happen. These things are written so that we would read and hear them and be blessed through keeping them today. And so, Lord, we want to walk in your instruction today. Help us to do that. And listen, if you're here, if you haven't called upon Christ, you've heard the gospel, the good news. Today's the day of salvation. It's time to come to the Lord. It's time to ask Christ to wash you, to forgive you, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. And I'll tell you, He'll meet you where you're at. Share the verse I so often share. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let that be you if you have not called upon His name. Lord, bless the rest of our evening and our fellowship. We praise you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys are, you know, you're welcome to stick around and fellowship. Maybe in a few minutes. Some guys, we can help move all the chairs against the fence over there and move the heaters to the back. That would be a great blessing if we can have some hands do that. Just don't run anyone over in in putting the chairs over there. God bless you guys.